Our gospel reading this morning comes from the book of Luke. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. The Gospel of the Lord. I included a snippet of a second reading from the lectionary today from the book of James, which you'll find in your bulletin as well. I included this reading too because I think it gives us some instructions on how to respond to this wild song that Mary gives us this third Sunday of Advent. James tells us to be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors as an example of suffering and patience, beloved. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Please join your hearts with me in prayer. Holy God, we come before you eager for a word from you this morning for us. Bless this reading and this time of expiration together. In your name we pray, amen. People today have all sorts of names for me now. The Blessed Virgin, Star of the Sea, Queen of Heaven, the Virgin Mary, Cause of Our Joy and Our Lady, and even the Blessed Mother. But back then, when I sang that song for the first time, people just called me by my name, Miriam. That's right. That's my actual name. When Luke wrote down my story, he shortened it to Maria in Greek, and it stuck. When I sang my song, I didn't sing it in a place like this. I sang it in my cousin's kitchen. An angel showed up in my bedroom and started telling me that I was going to have a baby with God somehow, 
and our baby would be the Messiah, the anointed one who the prophets told my community would save the world someday. I could hardly believe that the angel was asking me, someone who had never been pregnant or married or raised a child, for that matter, to take on such a responsibility. The angel also told me that there was another holy pregnancy happening at the same time, as if that would comfort me a little. My cousin Elizabeth was pregnant too, and no one thought that would ever happen because she was so old. Elizabeth was six months further along than I was, the angel said. And get this, the angel did a mic drop and said, nothing is impossible with God. And although I was still terrified of this request, I said yes. I trusted that somehow God was going to take care of me and my family. So I agreed to have that baby with God and soon I was mysteriously pregnant. And now, as the baby started to grow, my anxiety began to grow with him. How was I going to explain this pregnancy to my parents or to my fiancé, Joseph? I should tell you about Joseph, too. I was engaged to this guy named Joseph who was a carpenter from my hometown that my parents had picked out for me to marry because back then, matchmaking was the thing, so I would have had no, I couldn't pick who I wanted. My parents picked this nice guy, and he was really good, and he got along with my parents, and I got along with his family. But we had never been together, so it would be pretty obvious to him that the baby wasn't his, and I decided to go tell Joseph before I told my parents, and before he found out just by looking at me that something was up. So then I told him about this crazy visit I had with this angel and how this was God's baby and it was the Messiah who was going to save us all and that he shouldn't worry because God already picked the name out too so he didn't have to do that either. And well, he just looked at me and didn't say a word. And then, and then he told me he would decide what to do later, that, um, that he needed some time to think about what I had just told him, and I, I understood, you know. I had just told him some pretty shocking news, so I understood. And so I had seen what had happened to other women in my community when they'd been pregnant without being married, what happened when their parents threw them out or when their husbands turned them away, or and they were usually killed. So I wasn't sure what he needed time to think about because I was thinking about whether or not he was going to tell the priest that I needed to be stoned to death. I was afraid that he was going to turn me in or my parents were going to turn me in or his parents were going to turn me in, which they had every right to do according to our laws. But I was praying that he would not do that that he would believe what I said, the crazy thing that I had said, that he would change his mind and that our marriage would still take place and he would still be the father to the baby that really was God's baby. Well, I decided while Joseph was taking his time to think,
that I was going to take some time to think for myself. So I went to see my cousin, Elizabeth, the one the angel had told me was pregnant as well in some miraculous way, because I needed to see it for myself. I don't know about you, but when I hear crazy things, I need a little evidence to make sure that it's real. And so I took off to see my cousin Elizabeth in the hills of Judea where she lived with her husband, Zechariah, who was a priest. Elizabeth is about 80 years old, and her husband, he was also so kind to me and made me feel welcome. And I figured because he was a priest that he could protect me if anyone came to get me if anyone came because they found out I was pregnant and I needed to be put to death. But when I got there, I found out that Zechariah couldn't say a word. So that wasn't going to help me at all because he couldn't say anything because he didn't believe anything about what happened to Elizabeth. You see, when his miracle happened, he was in the Holy of Holies and God told him that he was going to have a son. And he was so incredulous that God struck him completely mute. So my hope that Zachariah could protect me while I was there wasn't going to work out too well because all he could do was write things on a tablet. And the moment that I walked into that house, it was dead silent. I didn't hear anything. And normally, I would hear Zachariah praying or Elizabeth and Zachariah talking in the kitchen. It was completely quiet. And so I poked my head in the door and I said, hello, Miriam's here, your cousin. And then Elizabeth bursts out and tells me that I am blessed among women. She told me that I was going to be known for generations to come and that her baby, at the sound of my voice, started dancing inside of her with joy. She knew that a miracle had taken place for me too. And then she told me of the miracle inside of her, of this John the Baptist, this baby named John, this prophet, who would come before my own child, who would baptize my child at the beginning of his ministry when he was an adult. She told me that I was blessed because I had believed what the angel had said. Her response to me was so different than what Joseph had said to me. He had been afraid and confused and indecisive and told me he needed time to think. But Elizabeth, she believed me. She knew right away what it took to believe a miracle because she had one that was happening inside of her too. She knew what was at stake for me as an unmarried, engaged teenager Marrying Joseph was one of the only ways my parents could secure my future. And Joseph was planning to call off the wedding quietly to avoid the public shame of marrying me and the public shame of this event and what it would do to my family. But the end result wouldn't be any different for me. It would just make him look good. It would have spared him the shame of marrying me, but it wouldn't have spared me the stigma of being an unwed mother or the consequences that might end in my death. And so when Elizabeth told me that I was blessed, the joy inside me felt so strange next to all this fear that had been growing in me. I was blessed. 
blessed, blessed by this terrifying and wild responsibility, blessed by the news the Messiah was growing inside of my body. And I have heard now that my song sounds dangerous to people. I mean, I did sing about some radical events happening. My song tells of empires that crumble and aristocrats that kneel. My song tells of the disenfranchised stepping into what is theirs and the abandoned finding a place to belong. My song is radical. I was singing it for that baby inside of me and for John, for Elizabeth and for myself. And now I sing it for all of you too. My song has become quite famous. You might have heard it earlier today, in fact. People all around the world sing it every day when they pray. My song was so radical that the governments of India, Guatemala, and Argentina have banned it from public. The British banned my song from church during their occupation of India. In the 1980s, Guatemala's government banned my song because it was stirring the people to action. In Argentina, after the mothers of Plaza de Mayo placed the words of my song on posters in the capital, the government banned any public display of my song. These mothers were demanding justice for their children, just like I was demanding justice for my people. And in all of these instances, Governments were afraid of God's world because it threatened their power and their position. My song declares what kind of world God shapes. My song is about the proud being scattered, the lowly being lifted, the hungry being fed, the justice of God coming in its fullness. My song does not glorify the social system of oppression that my people are currently suffering under in Roman rule. It does not talk about replacing their leaders with our own because my son was not coming to be Caesar. The tools in my song are not weapons of destruction. The tools of my song are the people themselves. The people rising up believing they have the power of God inside of them. The power to do something about the oppression that they face. My song is about creating something entirely new. People say they want a revolution, but I don't know if they are willing to do what it takes to get there. My song is about that too. So what about you? Are you willing to do what it takes to get us there? Are you bursting with joy as you rise up like Elizabeth and I did? And so I started to sing in Elizabeth's kitchen. You say you want a revolution, well, you know, we all want to change the world. You tell me that it's evolution, well, you know, we all want to change the world. But we talk about destruction don't you know that 
you can count me out. Don't you know it's gonna be join me if you want to. <laughs> you say you got a real solution. Well, you know, we'd all love to see the plan. You ask me for a contribution. Well, you know, But if you want money for people with my fat hate, all I can tell you is, brother, you have to wait. Don't you know it's going to be all right? All right. All right. Amen.